Levo to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Levo just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Lazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Leibold, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. What is going on? Welcome. Hockey to hell and back, episode... Number 76, of course, I'm Brady Liebold coming at you guys live from Muskoka, Ontario on this November the 9th, 2021. And I'm going to get into November the 9th here in a little bit because I just was going to and already breaking down. So I'm just going to press pause on that for a sec because I want to make sure that I'm saying that the right way because it's very 
important to me um, that I deliver that message the right way. Um, yeah, it, it's just flying through my head. But thank you for watching live. If you're listening after the fact, please subscribe, share with your friends if you liked it. That's how I do things. That's how we rely on things around here is word of mouth. And uh, I couldn't have dreamt it up any better. You guys have been fantastic. And I'm just so grateful. Uh, there's lots going on. This isn't going to be the longest podcast. I actually have no idea how I'm going to tie all of this together because uh, there's a few things that I kind of want to just touch on. Um, a couple that go together and, and a couple that don't. So uh, I've thought about it and I was like, how am I going to do this? And I went back to my guns. I'm just going to wing it. That seems to be uh, where I'm most comfortable is just kind of uh, <laughs> shooting from the hip. So um, it's uh, it's been a tough 24 hours uh, emotionally for me. As I drink some apple juice here um, for a couple of reasons. Obviously, I touched that it's November 9th. Uh, that's a, a day that I certainly haven't talked about for for a ever, if ever, really. Um, I may have addressed it a little bit on this show, uh, but not like I'm going to tonight. Um, but before I go any further, um, I got a message last night uh, from a player that was sitting in one of my Zoom calls. Um, I've been doing several of these, uh, speaking to minor hockey players, junior teams. Uh, I encourage the parents to sit through, the coaches, whoever wants to sit through them. Uh, I absolutely encourage everyone because um, I just think that there's a lot to be learned through my story, uh, but through what I've you know been sharing is not just my story, um, sharing the stories of others like those that you see behind me. Um, and um, I got a message last night and I'm going to read it. I'm going to leave out the name and the location because uh, I've done them uh, almost right across Canada now, um, which I feel very blessed uh, to be in the position to be able to do it. It's a it's a dream come true to be able to share my story and um, to to connect with young hockey players and and just try to make just a little bit of an impact. And it's been it's been a gift. But last night was a heart-wrenching message to read that I got that went something like this. Hey, Brady, you spoke to my team on a Zoom call. I think it was. And then he said the team. Me and a couple teammates had a buddy who played hockey commit suicide tonight. I just wanted to thank you for helping people that play the sport of hockey and people who don't with their mental illness. It's inspiring to see you doing all you can. Thank you for raising awareness. I went on to chat with this young man for, for a little bit, and I'm going to continue to check in on, on him and his teammates. And I did a little bit of research, not a ton. Um, I found out that the young boy who took his own life was not in one of my Zoom calls. Um, I found out that he was 17 years old and 
I've been thinking about when I was 17 years old and what that was like and just trying to reflect. You know, I was thinking about, you know, just being 17 and thinking. I remember being 17 and anybody watching or listening, you can agree or disagree. Maybe you felt differently, but I felt like I knew everything. Um, you know, I had the girlfriend that I was head over heels for. I was in love. I was getting to get married. And, um, you know, I thought I knew everything. I thought I was a, I thought I was a grown ass man at 17 years old. Um, but at 17 years old, I really started to feel the effects of my mental illness. And I was away playing hockey in Swift Current. I've talked about it a lot on this show. It was a, it was a really, really difficult time um, being away from home and just being 17 and, and just life feeling kind of overwhelming. I can't even really explain it. But what I do know is that the feelings I had when I was 17, the first sort of real suicidal thoughts that I had, it would, they got a lot worse as I got older, but the first initial ones started to happen when I was 17. And there was times where I was really so convinced that my life was so far gone at 17 that there was no hope and there was no reason to live. And I've talked about it, you know, and this is when I was playing in junior hockey. That, that's irrelevant to the story where I was at in life or whatever. I'm just talking. 17 and actually feeling so hopeless that that's what it, you know I thought was the only out and being 34 now having gone through what I've gone through after that time making it through 17 and making it through all the hell and by the grace of God or whatever you want to say to this point and I have, and I look back at me at 17. And it's like, wow, I knew nothing. I knew nothing about myself. I knew nothing about this world. I didn't know how to handle my emotions. I did. I wasn't equipped with any, I knew nothing. And I often wonder, is this the case for a lot of people? This is a very tough age. And my heart goes out to this family, the friends, teammates, the town that he's from, everybody that it's affected and will affect. At 17 years old, it's almost impossible to, to really know who we are and to not make it through to give ourselves a chance there's so many young kids taking their lives so many young hockey players taking their lives and I guess when I started all of this I started to share my story and I started to uncover the stories that I often talk about I wasn't expecting to kind of for all of this to happen 
the way that it has with kind of being the guy that people now, you know, if a hockey player passes away, I'm usually one of the first ones to hear about it because people send the story to me because they know I have a, have a, a major interest in mental illness and addiction and more than anything, preserving lives and honoring those lives that we have lost. I don't know what the answer is. I have no idea what the answer is exactly. But I know by talking about it helps. We can end the stigma. That helps. I mean, we're further ahead than we were years ago. I think we can all admit that. But how many of people watching or listening go, when you hear about these stories, if you haven't been affected by mental illness or addiction directly, when you hear these stories, like, how, how do you take that in? Because I know there was a time in my life when, you know, younger or whatever, even when I was mentally ill and I, I wasn't, and even when I was addicted and not admitting that I was addicted, but just being mentally ill and just not really even acknowledging it. Um, I, I don't know. It's um, just going back to, I, I'm not really sure what the answer is. Um, talk about it till we're blue in the face. But where are people going for support? I'll tell you my experience when I needed support on a few different occasions here in Canada. In BC and in Ontario, I had similar situations. But I'm going to share Vancouver because I went to detox in Vancouver. Between Vancouver, Kelowna, and Surrey, at least 10 times just to the detox facility, sometimes for a day, sometimes for three days, sometimes for seven, sometimes I was, you know, made it, sometimes I'd leave early. I was just in and out. It was like a revolving door for years because you just, when you're in that hell, you don't want to be in there. You don't want to be an addict. You don't want to have your life run by this substance that is they're all literally the devil whether you're religious or not you know the saying so you can relate that way but i'm having a really hard time with because there's a couple other stories that i want to get to with with carrie price and and really the the story i want to get to is the one in relation to Matthew Lazinski. But my mind is racing a million miles a minute and it has been for 24 hours. Because when I tried to get help, it was sometimes a month wait, six month wait, depending on a detox, 
mental health treatments, counseling, whatever the case is, it was never just as easy as saying, hey, guess what? You want help, we can give you help. For somebody who's addicted, the window, the window of helping an addict when they want help is seriously this big. And if that, if that opens just a little bit and, and you can't fulfill that, that need, that want for help, it can just snap away because the addicted brain is a fickle, fickle thing. And where we're at right now in society, in Canada, from my experiences, is nowhere near where we need to be. Not even close. I don't know what to do as one person to take on the government. I don't want to take on any government. But how do we stand up and say, hey, our people are suffering. Our kids are suffering. And what are we really doing about it? The resources are limited. They're all overwhelmed. Referral services don't want to take referrals. I want to kind of slide into the Carey Price situation um, that's kind of unfolded over the last month. I know Carrie. I first met Carrie when I was 15. I haven't talked to him in a long time. I don't know anything about this story other than what I've read, uh, just to be perfectly clear. So I have no idea what he's gone through or whatever other than what I've read and probably what you guys have read too. I haven't inquired to anybody that else would know him or anything. Um, completely want to respect Carrie's privacy and his family's privacy. But I do think it's important to just touch on that situation as a whole, uh, I talked to a lot of people over the last month about Carey Price when he first went into the substance abuse um, program, which was deemed mental for mental health reasons, which it very well is. If even if it is substance abuse, it's all tied together. Doesn't matter really. But I had red flags like right away. Um, I said to a, a few people, I said, you know, if you look at a guy like Carey Price and his career and everything that he's gone through, the injuries, the surgeries, the pressure, the amount that he's played. There's no doubt that he's been um, definitely instructed at different times, likely, I can't say for sure, um, but to whatever type of medications, um, whether that is it or not, um, you can guarantee that they, they played a part at some point, um, regardless of what it is. The fact of the matter is, is Carey Price is, is a superstar NHL goalie that has been at the top of his field for the last 10 years. Um, he was the best in the Western Hockey League when, when I played in the league with him. We're the same age. Um, very calm, very cool, very collected, 
always, but people forget that he's Carrie Price, the human, I think sometimes. And if you reflect back in the way that he's been treated over the course of his career and ridiculed when he's not played bad or whatever, I mean, it's, it's a business first approach in Montreal from the fans out right to the top, you know, like it's, it's just the way that it is. For him to take a step back uh, and get the help that he needed is a, uh, is a huge deal uh, for him, obviously. And I just want to say whether he sees this ever or not, or hears it doesn't matter. Um, but I think we're all very proud of him and, it can happen to anybody. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier where I kind of lost my train of thought is if you know if you haven't been affected by these things directly how do you feel when you hear about it is it it'll never happen to me because I was what I was trying to say earlier is that that was my attitude right it was this won't happen to me I'm, I'm even when I was kind of addicted and mentally Ill, it won't happen to me that's not me. But it can happen to anybody. I had a great conversation. Um, shout out Elaine Sterk. Um, her and I chatted earlier. I'm not going to go into a ton of details, um, but I think she's watching right now. I haven't looked at the comments or anything, but uh, Elaine, I, I hope it's okay that I share that we spoke on the phone earlier. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we chatted and um, she was the one that originally shared the story of Nick Smith with me. Nick is, oh, he's down here. Nick is Nick is down there behind me. Um, but you know, she said, she said we have to stop painting these hockey players as superheroes. And I couldn't agree more. It's, I know that I certainly looked to hockey players like they were superheroes, and that they were they were my superheroes when I was a kid, and. I know growing up, we didn't hear a ton about anybody dealing with mental illness. It really wasn't a thing. There was a few um, players that you heard that struggled with addiction, um, notably Bob Probert. Shout out the Probert family. Uh, Proby's behind me right there. But it was something that was a not a part of the game, but it was a part of the game, but it wasn't a talked about part of the game. Um, and the reality is, is that these things can happen to all of us. And, you know, I made a post the other day on, on the puck support page. If you're watching this, if you're listening, if you don't know what puck support is, I'm going to touch on it here in a little bit as well. Um, but check us out on Instagram at puck support, uh, I made a post. I, I posted a picture of my daughter, Veda, like, you know, just a year old in her little puck support onesie. And I posted it. It was like something along the lines of like, you know, we all hope that our, our kids never go through mental illness, never go through addiction. We all hope that. But there's always a chance. And it can come upon 
kind of out of the blue is what I'm trying to say. Like it can come upon us like that. It can kind of just creep up slowly. And I think as parents and as people in general, I don't think we ever really want to acknowledge either that we're having trouble or that our kids are having trouble um, or that maybe it's not as bad um, because it can be scary. It can be confusing. Uh, I know my dad, I think maybe at times felt like he failed as a parent. My mom certainly did. I'm sure as well. But at the end of the day, there comes a time when, when I had to make my own decisions as well, like as an adult and you can't, you can't really, you can't really blame anyone. Um, cause we all have choices to make. And that is where I'm going with the next, uh, part of what I really want to talk about is, is choices to, to wrap up the show, but <sighs> not sure if I'm ready to go there uh, quite yet. Let's uh, let's hear from a sponsor real quick. Cause I didn't do that at the beginning of the show. We'll hear from Regan Bartel and uh, we'll come back. I'll go through some comments. Uh, if anybody has any questions, if anybody wants to even like call in and, and chat for a bit, maybe we can do that. Who knows um, where this is going, but I do have to get to bed cause I got to work in the morning. We'll, we'll see you guys in a couple minutes here. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leovold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Teamissued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Shout out Regan Bartel out there in Kelowna. Love that guy, man. I say it all the time, but I throw on my old games and I just hear his voice and it just, it makes me happy. It just takes me to uh, to a good, good time in my life. But I do want to just go back for a second and just kind of touch on what Elaine said about hockey players being superheroes, because I think especially here in Canada, we, at least I did, I shouldn't say we so much, um, I just, they were everything to me and I just never felt like they would be affected. Um, certainly by mental illness. Cause back then it was looked upon as mental weakness. You know, it was, it just wasn't a thing. Um, and back then, if you weren't Bob Probert and you had an addiction problem, your time in hockey was, was not, was not very long. <laughs> So for Carey Price to to go out and get the help that he needed, kudos to him. To be honest with you, I could care less if Carey Price ever played another hockey game a day in his life if that's if he decided to retire. Um uh, you know, I I I actually could see it uh, as hockey players we sacrifice a lot as soon as you hit the junior ranks, you're moving away from home, you're missing your friends, missing family. As you play pro, you're away, you're missing your kids, whatever. Um, you know, moving around, summer here, house there, getting traded. It's it's a grind. Injuries. I think Carey Price has had an absolutely unbelievable career. And 
it's time to to start focusing on Carey Price, the the person, not the hockey player. That's my opinion, um, because that's really what comes first. I have absolutely no details. All I know is that I'm just super proud of of him for getting the help, and you know he's lucky that he has the NHL substance abuse program because a lot of hockey players have addiction issues and they don't have the NHL substance abuse program and they rely heavily on the programs that I said are in my opinion, failing us here in Canada for sure. I think there's a lot of people out there that wanted that are trying to do a lot of good that do do a lot of good. I should say the number of resources and the, the, the amount of money that we're putting towards mental health and addiction resources, uh, the way that we're treating all of it, I believe is wrong. I'm a firm believer in decriminalizing drugs, uh, re, it, you know, not so much punishing people, but giving them a chance to get better, uh, being in the, the jail system for a few years. You know, I really opened my eyes to the the vast amount of people behind bars. It stems from addiction and they're in there because they were addicted and they were doing things or whatever uh, to feed their addiction. Um, and if it wasn't for that addiction, they would have never been charged in the first place, myself included. So it's punishing those people throw them throwing them in jail is it the answer i don't believe it is because i've seen it it's not you go there and you learn more about being bad and crime and connections and there's there's no reforming there's very little programming and planning and to get out people get out to nothing i mean from there's just there's so much that's wrong and i just don't see a whole lot of action I just don't see a whole lot of action. And, you know, that's where like puck support for me always came in was the idea. And I'm going to try to be quick because we've been doing this half an hour and I thought it was only going to be a 30 minute show, but I like to talk. But puck support, you know, there's a lot of people that have watched or listened to this show and you know, there was a time when I would every single show talk about the story of Matthew Lazinski and everything. And I think it's really important. It's really important. Um, but after a while, the same people were listening. I didn't want to keep having to say it every episode. But you guys here in the beginning of the show, you know, this is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Lazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. And then I'm going to update that. But in case you don't know who Matthew Lazinski is, and this is going to go into the profound story about Matthew Lazinski. Matthew Lazinski uh, was a former OHL hockey player that played for the Sioux Greyhounds. He's the same age as I am. He was a second round pick, uh, the OHL, and made the team as a 16-year-old. And he had uh, a, a shoulder injury. And while he was there, uh, was prescribed painkillers. And 
I don't know what year it was exactly, whether it was a 16 or 17-year-old year. I believe it was 2004, 2005, 17-year-old season. Um, he, he became addicted. Um, and during that summer, he ran into some troubles with the law. And instead of going to training camp for his 18-year-old season, he was locked up for, I think I want to say, 14 months. Don't quote me on that, but somewhere around there at 18 years old. This is 2005-2006 season. The Sioux Greyhounds didn't support him whatsoever, from my knowledge. Obviously, it doesn't look great when that kind of stuff happens. But my understanding is that no questions were asked. And again, I shouldn't even say that because I don't know for sure. I didn't know Matthew. When I first started this podcast, it was called Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery, in case you guys didn't know that. Almost two years ago now. And... I didn't have a social media account. I didn't have anything. Everything was like underground for me prior to doing the podcast, you know, prepaid phones, fake name, Facebooks. I was up to no good. And I had no contact with anybody in the hockey community. So I made a new Facebook account, the one that I currently have. And I recorded this first episode. It was 15 minutes long, terrible audio, rambling about absolutely nothing, just audio. And I got the link and post, put it up, whatever. And I just went on Facebook and the creepy algorithm, I've said this before, all the people were like hockey people all of a sudden. It was like people you may know. And I was like, add, 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 add. And... I would spam Facebook, listen to this podcast, listen to this podcast, listen to this podcast. Like, obviously, it wasn't just like that, but it's the long and the short of it. My dad just texted me something about mental health and addictions news coming out of BC. BC applies for decriminalization and next step to reduce toxic drug deaths. Great news out of BC. They're uh, forward thinking out there when it comes to addiction, in my opinion, from what I've seen here in Canada, at least in Vancouver, because of the downtown east side and just the, the prevalence of drug use down there in a concentrated area. A lot of the best addiction doctors are down there. A lot of the best kind of trial studies are down there. And a lot, they do a lot of great work down there, but again, it's underfunded, under-resourced, but there's a lot of amazing people on the downtown east side and throughout Canada that are doing some amazing work, people like Dr. Gabor Matei. Um, thanks, Dad, for throwing me off. I didn't even know you were watching. Now, I don't even remember what the hell I was talking about, but I do. Matthew Lazinski, so I spammed Facebook, and people were very kind a few people even listened. Shout out David Carlson was one of them. One of them was also Matthew Thompson. And uh, Matt Thompson's one of my very best friends in the world today. But at the time, I had no idea who he was. He had no idea who I was. He listened to my podcast. And I know a lot of you guys have heard this story. So stick with me. I'm sorry. But in case you haven't, 
this is kind of how puck support started. And uh, Matt messages me and, and, you know, asked for my number. And then he called me and, and was like, hey, or no, actually, I think he just got my number off the website. And he's like, hey, is this Brady from, from like the podcast? Something like that. And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and like, this was like really early on, like before people were like, I think people were looking at me going like, who the hell is this guy? Like, is he for real? Is he going to stay clean? Like whatever. But Matt called me and uh, he's like, man, he's like, I listened because I sent him a message in the spam message, right? That's how he found me. And uh, he's like, I just listened to your first episode and I just want to say, I honestly thought I was listening to my best friend talk but my best friend isn't alive anymore. And I was like, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. And he, Matt went further to tell me about Matthew Lazinski, about how he played in the OHL. And actually you can see him right here. And, and how you know, he went into the story that I kind of touched on. And um, there's a lot more to it that I'm holding back because I just don't have all the details and I don't know what I can and can't say without getting in trouble. But you guys get the gist of it. Um, never played another game in the OHL, obviously, um, and went on to live a life of addiction uh, in and out of jail and tragically passed away in 2017 of an overdose. Just mere days um, apart from Mitch Fadden the same year. They're beside each other up here. And... That was really the first time that I had heard of a hockey player overdosing, certainly from fentanyl. And that was what had, you know, almost claimed my life on numerous occasions as well. And that was prior to knowing that, that Mitch had passed away too, uh, because I was so uh, entangled in addiction for so long. I was unaware that Mitch had passed away. And Mitch was a friend, a teammate, a roommate. Uh, so Matthew was the first one, and it shook me to my core. It, I was very recently clean, and it was in that moment that I was talking to Matt. I said, Matt, you know, Matt came down. We were building this studio that never got finished because I ended up moving. It's a long story, but um, he came down, and we just bonded. We instantly clicked, and from that moment forward, we be, we become best friends. We talk every single day. He owns the team that I'm playing on, the Maxwell Mustangs. That's where I stay when I go up there. I help them open the skate shop. But on that first time we met, we talked. I was like, Matt, we got to do something. We got to do something to make a difference. Like, like there's hockey players that are struggling. And then I started to uncover. Then I found out that Mitch passed away. And then I, you know, it, I, I went even harder at it. Then I started to uncover all these tragedies and the tra tragedies that I continue to uncover. And it, and I was just, got to do something. But how? And that's where puck support started. It was never, it was never ever supposed to be a clothing line or whatever. That was just kind of, I had a little bit of money, not enough to get incorporated as a charity at the time, not enough to get kind of whatever. I had I had this money that was raised and then I, you know, I got some inventory and a heat press and Matt started it up at Matt's house originally. Just try to get that, the name out there, the puck sport name out there. And really what it was about was, you know, honoring those that we've lost in the clothing. Um, 
it was a way to keep that their name alive and that's that's really you know what why the clothing means so much to me is that you know i put those names in there and every time i i see a name go in there i just i i wonder to myself like why why not me and you know i tell myself i'm lucky i need to be grateful and i just need to keep going because there's a reason and it doesn't have to be a big, great, big reason. Like I always thought my whole life, oh, I have to accomplish this. I have to be the, the high level this. No, it's just about making little impacts as much as I can, connecting with people, making myself better, helping people, letting others help me to make the world a better place. But through talking with Matt, you know, I really felt that we needed to do something to support players. And I knew that through my experiences, kind of being an outcast of the hockey world at the time, struggling with addiction, making a lot of bad choices, not too many people that I played with. In fact, I'm not sure any reached out to me while I was struggling to say, hey, and, and, Needless to say, it's not like it would have necessarily helped me. But at the same time, I definitely felt like, wow, that part of my life is over. I'm out of the, the boys club or whatever. When maybe I wasn't always the best teammate. I was misunderstood because of my mental illness or my addiction. There was times when I sl like slept in for practice because I was partying the night before or whatever. But when it came down to it, like when I was on the ice with my teammates, I would I would have done anything for them. I literally would have taken a bullet for any single one of them, uh, stuck up for every single one of my teammates, regardless of who it was. It, it was it was just the way that I and still am built. So I felt that I had given a lot at the time. I don't. I feel like this anymore, but at the time I felt like I'd given a lot to the game of hockey and I felt like I, that was always going to be a part of my life. And I, I was hurt for a long time. Um, you know, I thought, you know, maybe playing the victim for a little bit, but I just knew that these issues were not widely accepted in the hockey community at all. Players don't want to associate with other players who are struggling, really. I'm here to tell you that, at least my experiences with it, especially after they're done playing, like when they're done, they're not part of a team or anything like that. It gets around fast. And that needs to change. That needs to change. Like we need to, we need to say, hey, like we know someone's struggling. Are we going to avoid them? Are we going to say, I don't want to be a part of that person's life anymore? I mean, there's a fine, there's there's a line between having boundaries and 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 different things, but comes a point when need to kind of just rally around somebody who's struggling, at least give them an opportunity. So puck support, the original idea was to support hockey players who may be struggling with mental illness and addiction. That's still very much part of the plan. It's nowhere near where I'd like it to be, but I'm happy to say that things are, are 
are coming along. Um, and, 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 and yeah, like I just, I just really want to see this happen. And, you know, if there's anybody else out there like that is trying to start something similar or whatever, I'm all about working together because this is not about a competition or about anything. It's, it's all about saving lives. And that, that may sound drastic, but it's not. This is what it's about. This is what it comes to. And it's not a hockey problem. I'm not sitting here saying mental illness and addiction is a hockey problem and whatever. I, I think there's certain aspects to hockey that bring it on. I know there are. The hockey culture can be so toxic, can bring on severe mental illness, addiction issues, but it's not a hockey problem because it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And I just, I just think that hockey is such a beautiful game. It's such a great vehicle. It has provided me with endless gifts, endless gifts. There was a time when it, it wasn't, but I can reflect back and say, hey, you know, I can own that. It was a lot on me because I wasn't, wasn't doing the work. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. I'm sorry, my mind's racing because I'm thinking about, you know, the story that I'm going to wrap up with here. But I want to finish the Matthew Lozinski story because Matthew was given something by a doctor that, you know, was part of the team and, and my experience and, and from so many others that I've talked to said, like, if you're in the dressing room, you're playing junior or pro hockey and something happened, the doctor's like, here, take this. Who's questioning that? I certainly wasn't. I certainly wasn't. And why would I have? I wasn't educated around these issues. I had no idea. Team doctor? Okay, sure. Yeah, I get, yep. Thanks. I'm not going to question that. It's a doctor, right? Anyways, last night I was had a very... Just a great phone call with a guy that uh, used to be a, a hockey player as well uh, in the OHL. Um, and I'm going to respectfully leave his name out. I hope one day he will join the show uh, and, and share his story in, in more detail because there's a lot more to it. But he shared with me last night that while he was playing in the same city that Matthew Lezinski was playing in just a couple years difference. I'm not going to say which way it was a few years apart. They weren't there together. The same thing happened where they threw pills at him, And luckily, you know, in it, over a short period of time, his mom was able to intervene because she had noticed a different behavior. So he was able to, to his mom told him to get rid of those pills and, and whatever. And I asked him the same thing last night when I talked to him. I said, like, did you question the doctor? Did you even, 
did you want tell your mom originally? Like, no, like the, his mom had to pressure it at him because it was just part of whatever. Oh, you get hurt here, take that. Oh, you get hurt here, take that. But they weren't even allowing him to get the right treatment that he was wanting and needing. So hopefully he's going to share that with us later on. But the reason why I share that is because, you know, I, after I told him in more detail about the Matthew Lazinski story, he had a chance to kind of reflect back and say, wow, I could have went down the other path very easily, very easily. You know, he's like, I could have been Matthew Lazinski. I could have been you. If it wasn't for his mom intervening and noticing something wrong with her son, and there's more to it, but that's what, you know, I'm just going to hit on the brief, the brief topics of it, but. He uh, he's feeling pretty pretty lucky because it could have went that way, and that's how easily it can happen. And I want to make sure, and he does too, and and others as well, that players coming up through the systems are educated. They're empowered to ask questions. They know what to expect. Hey, you're playing hockey. There's a good chance you're going to get injured. There's a good chance that you may need painkillers. Here's the pros. Here's the cons. Because doctors, they don't really know, and I'm not sure most of them really care. No offense, doctors, because I know some do. Some are amazing. I'm not even talking about team doctors. I'm just talking about doctors in general. And I put it this way. When you're at work, do you do your best 100% of the time, every time? Are you able to be engaged, totally focused at work from the moment you're there, from the moment that you leave? Because I am not. I cannot do that. So my estimation is that doctors are just regular people too, and they probably can't do that either. Not sure that doctors have some supernatural ability to just stay focused and stay engaged and stay tuned in. It becomes monotonous just like anything else, I'm sure. They're not as educated as we think. And that's not all doctors, I'm sorry, because some you know specialists, whatever, but... In general, my understanding of going to a doctor my whole life was like, hey, this guy's got my back. This girl's got my back, whatever. Um, they know what they're doing. They have my best interest at heart. And maybe they do. But I just don't really think that they know exactly everything. You know, the side effects, the long-term effects, everything, the how long is it going to take for someone to become addicted to something? Is it a date? Like there's just so much to it. And I just think that if we're able to empower these kids, that maybe we can save lives or save individuals from going through hell because they're, they're educated. They know that, Hey, if I do this, this could happen. And I think, I think we can really make a difference there. And so that's, 
that's a lot what I talk about on the, my Zoom calls with these with these players that I'm so grateful to be able to talk talk with. Um, it's about choices because you never know when just that one choice can just take your life on a whole nother direction. And and again, I was talking to with the guy that uh, I was talking to last night. We're just going to call him Bobby for fun. That's not his name, but the the hockey player that I just shared the story with you about, and you know, we got to talking about because he he has a friend who is struggling with addiction as well. That's what a lot of the topic was about. But he he said, like you know, back in the day, we you know, as a group of friends, we would all party, and you know, sometimes the coke would come out or whatever, you know. And and I know kids listen to this, but. I, you know, I think there's a lot of us watching or listening to this as adults know that, you know, when you get to a certain age and you're at parties or clubs or whatever, there seems to always be somebody that's bringing some sort of drug out. And, you know, sometimes people can just do it on the weekends or whatever. And, you know, some people can, but, you know, I was not that guy. You know, I had friends that could party with me, but they would go to sleep. They would shut it off and I would stay up all night till the next day and whatever. And, And, you know, I didn't know that that was going to be my life. I didn't know that I was going to be an addict. Didn't know that it was going to take me down this path from the first time I tried ecstasy and cocaine because it broke down barriers to try new stuff, whatever. And I liked the way that it made me feel initially, but then it started to destroy my life. But up until that, I talk about all the time, I had barriers where I was like, no, I don't do this. That one choice to say, hey, I'm going to try this. It opened up a whole new world for me that I thought was making me feel better, but made my life worse. And that's how a small choice like that can just impact us greatly. And that's kind of the last thing that I want to say uh, before I sign off with the reason why November 9th is a day that has always been hard for the last 14 years. Uh, for me. But again, as I say this, I am not here feeling sorry for myself. Um, I sit here ashamed. I sit here embarrassed. Um, I feel today the same way about it as I did back then. But today I can openly talk about it and man up and admit my wrongs. On November 9th, 2007, I became a dad for the first time. Um, I've touched on it a little bit on this podcast. to a girl uh, from Swift Current. And at the time, she was my girlfriend. And um, she got pregnant right before the end of the season, uh, my 19-year-old year. And when I returned to Swift Current, we ended up breaking up prior to finding out that she was pregnant. And... 
Um, I didn't do the right thing at all. Um, I panicked. I was 19 at the time. It's not an excuse. She was 18. And uh, it was time for me to go home uh, for the summer to return as a 20-year-old to Swift Current. And when I went home, um, I got back together with... uh, with uh, a girl that I was dating previous. And um, when she found out that this girl was pregnant shortly thereafter, she got pregnant the summer of 2007, um, 19 years old. And I had two girls pregnant at the same time. And my heart was telling me that I need to do whatever I need to do to be there for both of these kids. I didn't know how to make that work at the time. I am not making excuses, not at all. I'm just telling, I can only talk about exactly the way that I was feeling when I was that age. They're not excuses. It's just where I was at. I had recently been kicked out from my house the year before. So I wasn't living with family. Um, And ended up kind of staying with the girl that I was dating from back home. And uh, she really didn't take too kindly uh, to the girl from Swift Current being pregnant. And, you know, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but, you know, I was going to write it in my book anyways. I was given the ultimatum, um, you know, be with me and this kid uh, or be with her and that kid and you'll never see this kid. And... It was um, it was a really hard time uh, because I knew that I was making the worst mistake of my entire life. Uh, but I ended up siding with the one girl. And I went on to never meet the young boy who was born 14 years ago today. And I, uh, I ended up going back to Swift Current and, you know, I wasn't very nice to this girl at all. Um, it caused a lot of problems in Swift Current because, you know, I was being a piece of garbage, really. And that's when I ended up getting traded. Now, when we went back to Swift Current, and I'm not sure I've ever shared this story on here or on any podcast. But I was riding a like a 14 game or 13 game point streak going into Swift Current. It was the very first time I'd ever been back to Swift Current. Very first time I'd ever played against Swift Current because I'd always played for them and been traded to Kelowna. So going back to Swift Current. 13-game point streak, 14 goals, 13 assists, 27 points in 13 games or something stupid like that. It was an insane month of January for me. If you don't believe me, go look up the game-by-game stats for 07-08. Shout out Jamie, Ben, and Colin Long. They were so easy to play with, and Tyson Berry was dynamite on the back end on the power play. It was, it was, it was all them, I must say. But when we got to Swift Current, um, Nobody on my team 
really knew. I think Benny and Longer might have known and maybe Luke Shen might have known um, that there was a girl from Swift Current who was pregnant. And um, I ended up starting the game. I hit the post on the first shift. And from that second on, everything just did not go good at all. Um, we ended up losing. I played like crap. No points. Point streak ended. That's the least of my concerns at that point. Because the girl um, who brought the three-month-year-old boy to the arena with her friends, her other 18-year-old friends, and, you know, this girl was just 18, just a kid, and she just wanted me to meet my son. And, you know, she gave the baby to one of her friends after the game and literally chased me making a scene in the lobby, screaming, come meet your kid, come meet your in front of everybody right to the bus. Um, and I went in the bus um, and these girls, they followed the car um, to Boston pizza where we were going to eat, where I was meeting my billets. And I cowered on the bus for like 20 minutes because I didn't want to face it. Just feeling like the biggest loser because I was the biggest loser. Um, hating myself. I'm going to cut this story a little short. I'm not going to go into a ton of details because I'm not so sure I should even be going here. But my family found out, obviously, and without naming any names, the vast, vast majority of them um, took it upon themselves to welcome this girl and the young boy into their lives at the time against my wishes, which today I am so grateful for. But at the time, it wasn't just me. It was causing problems with my other relationship. Like I talked about, she, you know, she was hating on my family, this and that, my family, blah, blah, blah. And it divided me and my family. And I lost friends over it. More than anything, I really lost myself. That was a moment in time where I really lost myself. I never thought I was capable of, of doing something like that. And I've regretted it every single day of my life since. That girl, that woman now is an incredible person and an incredible mom. Happy to report she's married, has another kid. And the young boy has a dad whom he doesn't know any different. Today he turned 14 years old. I also have two other kids that I'm not in contact with. And these are the things that are hard for me on a daily basis. People ask, you know, if I'm, if I'm off in my own world or I'm not engaged, it happens a lot. It's usually what I'm thinking about is those three. But there are no words 
for how I treated this, at the time, young lady. Um, totally just didn't do the right thing. And I believe that it all played into my addiction as well. I actually know for a fact that it did. Because after that summer, it was, you know, it was straight into the, the cocaine use and it was, yeah, it was just tough. And, um, yeah, I just, it's, uh, it's been, it's been a it's tough alive. go. It's Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. <laughs> same name as my mom, by the way. My mom back home and my Muskoka mom have the same name and they're the same height. <laughs> yeah, same height. Not very tall. But it was, uh, it was a really tough time. To know that I just... My whole life, I just wanted to be a dad. (laughs) My whole life, I just wanted to be a dad. And, uh, you know, I got that opportunity and um, anyways, I'm not going to go any more into it. I'm just super grateful that she, uh, she's been able to provide just an amazing life uh, for this young boy and I'm not sure I'll ever meet him. Not sure I deserve to ever meet him. He looks just like me, by the way. But I'll tell you, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm not sure any were have been bigger than that. And that's the reason I say that is because it just it shit it shifted my my life so much because i hated myself so much that's really when my like childhood trauma and everything started to really start to pick up and really start to like run my life and you know self-hatred calling just so down on myself no confidence piece of shit this your garbage that like it it just went from being this confident young man to just an empty being and I'm not so sure I'll ever get over that but I just wanted to say because I know sometimes this girl listens to my show or watches my show she's probably gonna be mad at me I respect her so much and her wishes for the situation But thank you. You're incredible. And, you know, you couldn't have a better mom. And I know that your husband is an incredible dad. And the last thing I'll leave you guys with is that through all of this, through all of this at different times, from the time 
I was chased out of the Rankin Swift current. Up until not very long ago, I will still hear from her time to time. And when I was struggling, she would reach out and worry and say, you know, get help, whatever. And she really was the last person that should have been doing that after the way that I treated her. So, thank you. And from, I don't know what sorry is worth in this situation, but it is my greatest hope that through sharing this story, it can help one, maybe if this happens to somebody to reflect back and say, hey, maybe I need to make the right decision here. And even more so, too, going back to educating young adults about sex, about drugs, about all of it. And it's not just a one-week unit in school. These things need time. They need our attention. They need care. It's not something to just breeze through not even close. So now that you guys have a little bit more um, back details into that story, I mean, let's gonna wrap up the show. I mean, this is that is like the lowest. I've had some low points in my life, but that to me is still just the absolute lowest. And because I did that, I'm sure it filtered down into Brooklyn and Brody. And eventually I lost my relationship with them as well. I am, however, today, I am, however, today, really grateful to have some pretty awesome kids in my everyday life. Hadley, Lincoln, and Veda, a lot of you guys see the pictures I post. Love them to pieces, all of them, but forever in my heart, there will always be pieces missing. And that's just the reality. And that's nothing that any other kid or person or anything can, can replace or fulfill. It's just, it's them and that's it. Oh, shout out Bob Levis and Louise Levis. You want to talk about some incredible people that shaped me when my dad wasn't around, though I went down a dark path. I think I got some of my best qualities from from those people right there. Bob and Louise Levis, my neighbors of 15 years. I've said it on here before, but you guys, I love you. I got to get home. I got to give you guys a hug. Thank you for everything you did for me and my family back in the day. I love you guys so much. Um, I know there's a lot of comments here. I wanted to get to them. This has gone way too long. I got to go to sleep, guys. I got to work in the morning, but I appreciate you. Louise is watching as well. Looking great, Brady. Thank you, Louise. You look the exact same as I did since I was like three. That's my earliest memory of you. I think it's like three or four. and You, you haven't changed one bit. Um, 
That, that's the wrong one. That's the right one. I'm tired. Anyways, guys, thank you. I'm sorry for rambling and 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 going on. Listen, please have the conversations with your kids, with your with your players, with your coworkers, with whomever it may be. Have the conversations, follow up. I know life gets crazy. I know life gets busy and we all really have to take care of ourselves first because if we don't do that, what can we do? But it doesn't cost anything to just take a little bit of time. If you know someone's having a hard time or if you're worried about somebody, don't assume that it's not as bad as what you think. Because if you are like me, it's, hey Brady, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Don't worry. I got it. I got it. Yeah. No, I'm good. Me? No. No, no, no. I'm good. Bullshit. More so now than ever, I'm good. Pretty much my whole life, it was bullshit. How many people are good all the time? Sometimes people just need to be heard. Doesn't cost anything. Thanks for watching, guys. If you don't follow us on Instagram, you can follow three different accounts at Puck Support, at Mental Health Hockey, and at Hockey to Hell and Back, I think is what it is. <clears throat> We're looking for new sponsors for the show, too. If you want to sponsor the show, um, just trying to find a way to kind of make the show not cost me money as much as I love doing it. I'll continue to put money out for it. We'll put money out for it, no problem. But it would be nice if it was kind of just self-sufficiently run. And um, I know a couple of people have reached out. Don't worry, we're going to set up times to chat. But if you think that maybe we're going to revamp it, like completely redo the intro video, make this more professional. I really want to kind of bring it more to life. What are you guys' thoughts? Let me know. Please follow like share subscribe if you're watching on youtube press that like button if you're watching on facebook press that like button thank you appreciate all of you tuesday nights from now on tuesday nights 9 p.m is going to be the time they used to be sundays and wednesdays at 8 tuesday nights 9 p.m <clears throat> excuse me i'm losing my voice tuesdays 9 p.m eastern will be the new time for hockey to hell and back. What happened to my poppy? Full disclosure, it's not actually mine, it's Susan's. Not much of a liar these days. Anyways, guys, thank you so much. Take care, thanks for watching, thanks for listening. We'll see you guys here Tuesday night, 9 p.m. with I hope my friend, Justin Bryan. Be kind to everybody. Take the time. Talk to your friends. 
talk to a stranger, put your phone down, have a conversation. Stay grateful and remember, have a great day if you so choose. Pocket of Hell and Back is brought to you by Pride Tape. Pride Tape is a badge of support from teammates, coaches, parents, and pros to young LGBTQ players. It shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to Aubrey at pridetape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, Aubrey at pridetape.com. You can find Pride Tape on facebook.com slash pridetape, on Twitter at pridetape, and at pridetape on Instagram. Pride Tape thanks all of you for being champions for change. I want the real stuff, everybody listen up, cause I'll only say it once, I'm gonna show you all the path, if you want it bad, I'm gonna show you every side, yeah, how you can get it back, yeah, cause I ain't never done, I'll be number one, working mellow hard until I get just what I want, yeah, rises like the sun, yeah, fatal like a gun, shooter's gonna shoot and I'm gonna shoot until I fall, yeah, let's do it alone, so I gotta get through it, and the only thing I know is to love what I'm doing, never give up, never slow, till I finally prove it, never listen to the no's, I just wanna keep moving, yeah, I put out all the art, it's my only medicine, yeah, everything I do, I'm just being genuine, yeah, I'm sick of being screwed, feel my own adrenaline, yeah, I do just what I do, and I hope you let me in, let me in, yeah. I'm grateful, oh yeah, able, oh yeah, I'm stable, oh yeah, no label, oh yeah, you know me, I have only a path, I'm lonely, but damn, I'm going to win, yeah.